Father, we give you thanks for the body of Christ, for the fellowship that we have together in Christ, for the unity that exists because you have made us one. Uh, We're even one when we don't get along like it. And so we thank you that uh, you have put us together in the body of Christ. And we thank you for this refreshing uh, instance of coming together And uh, Lord, we pray that as we look into your word now, that it would be uh, edifying to us, that it would build us up in the faith, that it would be a time to renew and remember the great grace of God in Christ and to trust ourselves again to that. Uh, And Lord, in that way, to be a true service of worship. For all these things, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a question in your bulletin on the top line there in the sermon notes. It's a challenging question. The question is, are you holy? Are you holy? We have, a, we have an expression uh, when somebody wants to say, well, give a sort of a reason that they have not been good lately. They might say, well, I'm no saint. Sometimes we say, well, you're no saint or he's no saint, or she's no saint. That word saint and the word holy in the language of the New Testament are really just two versions of the exact same word. If you are a saint, then you are holy, because the word saint just means holy one. Now, if you've been around in the church, well, the Protestant church for long, you probably know that the Bible refers to all believers in Christ as saints. So Paul writes a letter, he says, to the saints in Philippi. And he literally means all the believers that gather in that particular church, in that particular city. So he calls them saints. So he's saying that if you are a believer in Christ, you are in fact holy. Are you holy? Well, I think to, if from the understanding of the New Testament, we'd have to say, well, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, then yes, you are in fact holy. And you probably should never say, well, I'm no saint. Now, we have a problem when it comes to this word, holy or saint. We think it means something that it doesn't actually mean. We think it means righteous or good. So 
So if I say, if I ask you the question, are you holy, if you are a Christian, you should say, well, yes. But if I ask the question, are you righteous or good, you probably should hesitate to say yes. And if you say yes, you're going to need to qualify it by saying something like this, well, I possess the righteousness of Christ, not my own, the righteousness of Christ, which has been credited to me, even though I'm not in myself good or righteous. You see, that's a whole different thing. Saints are not necessarily righteous, except that God counts them righteous in Christ. Hmm. So this is a, it's kind of an interesting distinction. Are you holy? Yes. Are you good? Uh. How can you be holy and not good? Well, you know, this is a, uh, one of the, the formulas of the Reformation in, the, in Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther King, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, you know, that guy. He said, he used this expression, it's Latin, simul justus et peccator. Now, many of you speak Latinate languages, you probably already know what that says. But for uh, all you Germanic peoples, I'll tell you what it means. At the same time, saint or justified and sinner. So in this life, in the Christian life, we live in this period at this time. That is what we are. Saved sinners. Sainted sinners. Well, there's a reason I'm talking about all this, and it's uh, because it's in our passage today in John chapter 17, and we've been studying the prayer of Jesus. That's sort of the closing prayer of Jesus' life, and definitely the closing prayer of the upper room discourse, his last conversation with his disciples in which he seeks to prepare them to live this life in his absence, well, in a different kind of his presence would be a better way of saying it. So he's been telling them, I'm going away, but I'm not deserting you. I'm going to send the Spirit, so I'll be with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he won't only just be with you, he'll be in you. So this is actually better for you, all that. But they're all, they can't figure any of this stuff out. They're, they're really confused. We're not as confused as they were because we have the benefit of seeing what played out in the next few hours when Jesus prayed this prayer. So we're looking at John chapter 17. If you have a Bible, I recommend you go ahead and look this up, follow along. 
John chapter 17, and we've come to the fourth thing that Jesus asks for from the Father in this prayer, this fourth request, which is the title of our talk today, Sanctify Them. Sanctify Them. Now, he already said, keep them. That was, we just talked about that last time. Keep them, guard them, watch over them. And now he says, sanctify them. That word, sanctify, means what it sounds like. You could have, we could have ended up calling it sanctify in English. And I guess if you say it fast enough, you probably will say that. Sanctify. It means to make a saint of someone. It's literally the word for holy. It means Make them holy. Make them holy. Can you believe I've been talking about this word this long already and I haven't told you what it means? Okay, I'm going to tell you what it means. It means set apart. Set apart. That's the basic meaning of this word. So he's saying, make the disciples apart. Well, now we've got to figure out apart from what, you know, apart for what, all that. We're going to figure all that out. There's a, I've used this illustration before, but in your uh, bathroom, as we call it in America, there's a holy object. It is holy unto you. Yeah, can you guess what it is? It's just one object. There's probably several holy objects in your bathroom, but this one is the one I think of when I want to think, what does holy mean? And it is your toothbrush. Uh, you know, I have to get up early to come to the church. I was going to bring my toothbrush with me this morning. Your toothbrush is a holy object. I sanctified my toothbrush when I went to the store and purchased it and brought it home and used it to brush my teeth. It is utterly set apart from all the other toothbrushes. It is for me and me only. If you go in there and use my toothbrush, you have profaned a holy object. It, I, I can't use it. I mean, we're going to have to go through some kind of really crazy cleansing process before it can be my toothbrush again. It is a holy object. It is separated from the other toothbrushes. It is for me and me alone. And here's something else about it that's holy. It is for only one use. I do not brush my toenails with my toothbrush. Only my teeth. This to me is a pretty decent illustration of what holy means. It means set apart to someone for something. And so Jesus prays for the disciples, 
set them apart, and of course, in this context, we mean set apart to God. Just like all those implements in the ancient temple were holy objects. You know, there was that story where the, some foreign king invaded Israel and he stole the cups out of the temple. Those belong to God. So when he stole them from the temple, he stole them from God and it did not turn out well for him. So something that has been sanctified is something that belongs entirely to God and God alone. So when Jesus prays this for the disciples, it's pretty serious business. And when I ask you, are you holy? We're talking about the same thing. They're set apart to God, for God, and for nothing and no one else. Well, we could look, and I'm, we're going we're to study this for two Sundays at least. Two is the plan at the moment. And we're going to look this morning at the various ways right here in this chapter the disciples are set apart, sanctified. And I'm going to try to go through this fairly quickly. So you can see in your bulletin there's seven. There's seven. And there's a lot of space on number four because four has also four parts. They tell you in, in preacher school, you should only have three points in your sermon. So here's one with seven or eight or nine, depending on how we count them. But anyway, how are the disciples sanctified in John 17? First of all, they are given eternal life by the Son of God. They are given eternal life. It's right there in the uh, second verse. You gave him, the Son, authority over all flesh, that to all whom you've given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the sent one. The one you sent. So eternal life is fellowship with God in Christ. It's knowing God. That's the very nature of it, as we talked about when we discussed that verse. Eternal life what is it? It's knowing him. And so the disciples are distinguished from other people in that they have been given eternal life. And they're set apart in that way. And we read right there in that verse, that same verse, they've been given to the Son by the Father. So the Father, later in the chapter, in verses 6 and 9, this whole idea is repeated. They're identified as the people that have been given to the Son by the Father. And Jesus says, they belong to you and you gave them to me and now I'm giving them back to you. That's the whole, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine conversation that Jesus has with the Father here. They're given to the Son by the Father. Well, if someone has been given to some 
one. Something has been given to someone. Now it belongs to that person. It's set apart to them. The third thing, Jesus has manifested the name of the Father to them. He didn't do this for everyone, but he did it for them. This distinguishes them from other people. He gave them your word, he says in verse 14. He manifested the Father's name to them, giving them your word. We're going to have a lot to say about that whole idea of your word later. Then he says, they've kept your word. So they received it, they accepted it, they take care of it, they understand it. And these are the four things. In, they, they've kept your word. Jesus gave them the Father's word, words and word, both. We've talked about that. They received the words of God from Jesus. They, this is all in verse 8. They truly understood, and not just mentally, but experientially, they came to understand that Jesus came forth from them. Oh, so Jesus is the word that gives the words. They've received these things that sets them apart from others. They are now coming to belong to God in Christ, set apart. They trusted that the Father sent Jesus. Those are the four things. They've kept your word. They've kept your word, which means Jesus gave them the Father's words. They received those words. They understood those words to mean that Jesus came from the Father, and they trusted themselves to that reality. They received your words. I'm kind of rushing through this because we've already talked about all of that in detail, but they are kept. Now, Jesus says, Father, keep them. I've been keeping them, but I'm coming back to you, so now you keep them. And this is what we talked about last week. So they're guarded, they're watched over. Now, if we aren't thinking about the good shepherd and the flock, the sheep, and remember, the sheep, the flock of God that belongs to God in Christ, they have a shepherd. They are not in some other flock. They're in his flock. They're separated to him, sanctified. There's a very true sense in which this request of Jesus, sanctify them, is a summary of everything. A summary of the book of John. Certainly a summary of the requests we've heard so far. That's what I'm trying to demonstrate. And we haven't gotten to it yet, but he says, sanctify them. And then he says, as you sent me, I am sending them. That's in verse 18. So they're sent. In other words, they're not just set apart to God. They're set apart to be sent to be sent. In fact, there's the, the text in, uh, I think it's chapter 10, where Jesus himself in eternity 
with the Father in the past was sanctified to be sent. And he's saying, sanctify them. As I was sent, they'll be sent. So we're not just holy in that we belong completely to God. We're holy in that we belong completely to God for a reason and a purpose and a task for which he sanctifies us. They're sent. And then he says that they may be one. He's he's going to harp on this oneness we are, not, we are nowhere near hearing the end of this oneness in John chapter 17. He already said in the passage we looked at last week that they may be one as we are one. There is no greater oneness than the oneness of the Father God with the Son of God. And we are to be included in that oneness, and in this way, we are sanctified, set apart. Oh, I said we, but this is about the disciples, right? He's saying them, he's referring to the disciples, right? No. Because we have here in this prayer, verse 20, Verse 20, which says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, these guys sitting here in the room with me alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Now, when he says that, that encompasses everything he's been asking for already. He's saying, look, my prayer is not just for these guys. It's also for all of those who will come to faith in me because of their word. Well, that's everyone who has ever come to faith in Christ. I sometimes wonder which one of those 11 guys sitting in that room, or 12 if we include the Apostle Paul, which one of them is my faith ancestor? I'm, 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 I might get distracted, but I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to try to find out. He's saying, this prayer is not just for them, it's for you. Sanctify them. Sanctify them. Now, one of the most interesting things here is, if you ever think about anything getting sanctified, it's getting sort of separated from the other things. You might ask the question, into what? Or where? And Jesus says it right here. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So sanctify them in your word, the truth. Does anyone remember what John 14, 6 says? You do. You might not remember the reference. Jesus says, it's at the beginning of this talk for which this is the closing prayer. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. I don't see any way around thinking Jesus is talking about himself when he says, sanctify them in the truth. Plus, if we just read the book of John, let's go on a little tour of the book of John. You go back to chapter 1. What's the very first idea presented in the book of John? In the beginning was the Word. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, He, the Word is a He. The Word is a person. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, the darkness didn't understand it. Hmm. Then, right there in that same chapter, he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, we all know who he's talking about, Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than me, for he existed before me. Of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So now he's affirmatively identified the word is Jesus. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. What's the word of God? Jesus. Jesus. It's the word who gives the word. <laughs> who is the word and shares the words. How does anyone know God? which is eternal life, only in the person of Jesus. Jesus says to uh, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen him. The Word. And now I've listed a bunch of references here. <laughs> uh, where we see this throughout the book of John. Chapter 2. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews 
and said, it took 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So then when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. You see, the word, the scripture, points to the word, the Son. Always, everything in the Bible points to Jesus. Sometimes it's not real obvious how, but that's why it's there. Chapter 5, verse 24, famous memory verse for many of Many believers, 524, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word. Now, that's an interesting, the way, the way this works in the Greek language, it literally says, he who hears word of me. It's kind of ambiguous, and it could mean, my word, it could mean like it's translated some kind of possessive, it's, it's a word that belongs to me. It could also mean a word about me. Or it could mean the word of me. <laughs> the word that is me. And Jesus is the word that gives the word. He's the speech of God. In chapter 37, the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You've neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You don't have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. How, how, do, how does Jesus identify someone who has the word abiding in him? They believe in him. They believe in him. Chapter 8, verse 31 Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, again, it's the same construction. It could be my word, word of me, word about me, word that is me. All of the above, I think. Then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth. Eternal life is knowing God and Christ. If you abide in my if you abide in my word then you are my disciples and you know the truth the truth will make you free. That is not Jesus saying if you understand the facts as they are for real you'll be free. No, he's saying if you know me you'll be free. I will make you free, the truth. How is Jesus making us free? He died on the cross. He reconciled us to the righteous, holy, eternal God, the Father. He brings us in. We have access to God Almighty in Christ. We can talk to God Almighty as though he's our Papa because in Christ, he is. And so we have the privilege of actual fellowship with the living God in Christ 
Hence, we are free. Anyone who does not have that is a slave, according to Jesus. A slave to themselves, to their own desires, and by extension to the devil. Slave to sin. So when Jesus says the truth shall make you free, he did not mean it the way we all mean it whenever we say it, which is, well, if you just know the exact right facts about any given thing, then you'll be free. Well, that might be a little bit true in one way or another, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about if you know me, you are set free from the bondage of sin. It's about him. He's the word. He's the truth. Okay, okay. I'm getting there. (laughs) She's ready to be dedicated right this second. Chapter 14, the whole second half of the chapter is about abiding in Christ. If you love him, you keep his commandments, you live in his word. Chapter 15 is abide in me, my words abide in you. You'll ask what you want, the Father will give it to you. And my joy will reside in you. So when Jesus says sanctify them, sanctify them, set them apart, He's literally saying to to the Father, claim them for yourself. Claim them for yourself. And of course, it's already accomplished, isn't it? Like they belong to the Father and he gave them to the Son and the Son is giving them to, they already have been claimed and he says, claim them, claim them. And so when we talk about being sanctified, we're sanctified by Christ, we're sanctified in Christ, we're sanctified for Christ, we're sanctified with Christ because as he was sent, we are sent. Claimed a a sanctified person, any believer in Jesus is claimed by God. And if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, you get the whole package. If you've said, Jesus, save me, God has staked his claim on you. In fact, already by the time you cry out for salvation. And so I think of this prayer as it will play out, will play out in my life. I will be more and more claimed and consumed by the logos of God, the word. Did you hear how much the word was in those things we read right here in just the one chapter? They Jesus gave them the word. They kept the word. So as I'm sanctified, I am claimed and I become consumed 
by the Logos of God, who is the man, Jesus, the eternal son, made flesh, sacrificed for sins, resurrected, ascended, seated at the right hand of God, pleading my case on the basis of his righteousness, not mine. Ay, ay, ay. To be sanctified by the Father is the best possible thing that can happen to anyone. Now, we are libertines, and we don't like to be claimed by anyone because we do not know what's good for us. And Jesus says, Sanct, these, are, these are mine, they're yours, they're mine, they're yours. Stake your claim on them. And when we come to faith, we are jumping in and we are saying, claim me, claim me, claim me. Because we have come to see Jesus for who he is, the ever-living word of God. And we have come to realize the best thing that can possibly happen to me is that I would once again belong to God. Now, he's going to go on to say the way sanctify them to be sent the way you sent me. We're going to talk about that next time. To be sent. When I come to belong to God, I am in Christ, and we together, the body of Christ, we are sent. You remember, Jesus says, keep them. I'm not asking you to take them from the world, but to leave them in the world. Oh, so we have a function like his in this present age. But I can't talk about that till next Sunday. <laughs> One last thing I want to say to you, like I did last time, Jesus is not praying to you. Jesus is not saying to you and I, sanctify yourself, please. He's asking the Father to sanctify you. It, I read this prayer and I think, oh, is there anything for me? Do I need to do anything? And it's in there. But I don't save myself. And I don't set myself apart. I don't claim myself to God. God does. It's 100% grace. 100% grace. It is a gift. One of the things I was noticing this week as I was reading this text, you know, I'm preaching on this prayer a lot, so I'm reading it a lot of times. And I was noticing this time, 
we'll probably get a sermon from this at some, some point, how often the word given is used. Lots of things are being given. Given, 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 given. You have been given by God to the Son. The Son has received you and given you to God who is staking his claim on you and will keep you. The Father does not say no to the prayer requests of the Son. If you're in Christ, you're set apart to Christ. And he will see to it, and you will be claimed and progressively consumed by his word. Praise God. Father, we thank you for this word of grace. Lord, uh, we can stop, we can rest, we can just come to you with any little thing we've got on our minds and know that your care is real. We belong to you. You are our Father. Lord, we, uh, we just give you thanks. And we say, yes, claim me, claim me. We want to be yours. We want to see how that's going to play out in, in real life. That we belong to you in Christ by the Spirit. Amen.